Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Joy Church. Doing good today? Come on, wave at me if you've had at least one cup of caffeine this morning. Excited? Yeah? Some people had more. That, when you see that wrist going back and forth like that, you know. Now, what a great time in the presence of God this morning. Just love being in worship and uh, just feel like the, the Holy Spirit was really just downloading into me uh, during worship just about the importance of building altars in our life and just having these places of encounter and it's awesome because every Sunday, God's people come together to engage in the Word, engage in fellowship, engage in worship. And the experience that you have is kind of determined on what you bring into the atmosphere. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those deals. You get out of it what you put into it. And what I find with the Lord is that He never runs dry. The Spirit of God never runs dry. God doesn't have off days. Come on, I have off days. I don't know about you, but He doesn't have off days. And so... When I come on Sunday and I engage in the presence of God, get my hands up, begin to dance, begin to sing, lift up my voice and praise Him, the Spirit of God comes down and there's a refreshing and a refilling. Come on, if you need to be refreshed this morning, lift up your hands. Just lift them up. Jesus, I pray for the reign of your Spirit, God. As your people are gathered together in your name, Jesus, let the reign of your Spirit fall today and begin to water hearts, begin to uh, prepare the fields of our lives, to reap the harvest of blessings that you have, both in the natural and the spiritual. God, I pray for encouragement, Lord. I pray there would be clarity, Lord, and focus amongst, amongst the noise of the world, Lord. There would be, uh, Lord, that ability to hear your clear voice speaking to us. God, I pray that each person here today would leave encouraged and refilled by your spirit, Lord, to go out and be the church, to be your hands and feet in the world around them. Bless your people today, God, in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Well, guys, we are in a series called Ordinary Extraordinary, talking about how God uses the ordinary things in our lives to do extraordinary things. And this is one of the, the, the most amazing things about God. I think about that story when Jesus is before a multitude and he says, okay, disciples, you need to feed this multitude. And there was probably anywhere from five to 20,000 people, which is a lot, right? The only uh, person more capable to feed that big of a crowd than Jesus is my mom, Kim, who... <laughs> When she prepares food, always prepares at least 20,000 uh, meals. How many of you know an Italian mom, if you don't want any more, you got to shoot her? <laughs> I think Ray Romano said that. You can't graze her, you got to plant one because if you say, I just want a little bit more, she's going to, boom, hit you with more spaghetti. Well, Jesus is in front of the multitude. He says to his disciples, you guys feed them. And they're like, okay, cool. We got it. And they're like, we don't got it. We don't got it. Jesus, we're not around a Chick-fil-A there's no like Red Robin around here, no unlimited fries. What are we going to do? And he goes, well, what do you have? And they go and they find some loaves and some fish. Somebody brought a lunch, right? Somebody went to McDonald's and got the McFish or whatever. They bring it and Jesus takes it and he takes the ordinary offering and he does something extraordinary. And a lot of times we're thinking, I have to provide something extraordinary to God. And actually what he's asking us for is something very ordinary. That's what this whole series is about. Like, what if we took our regular everyday stuff, our regular everyday life, and we gave it to God? We put it in the hands of God and said, God, could you do something with this? And what I know for a fact is that he does. Absolutely every time. When we give him our yes, something is unlocked in our life. It's powerful. And it doesn't just change your life. It changes your family's life. It changes the friends around you in your workplace. It changes the world. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, out of the message paraphrase, says, this is what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary, there's that word for us, life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God 
as an offering. This is, our, this is what this series is all about. Now, as we jump in today, we're going to specifically talk about obedience. And obedience is not necessarily a word that gets people excited. You know, we don't put the message titles out ahead of time on social media because we don't want, you know, everybody to skip the day that's about obedience, right? It's kind of like leg day, you know, some, somebody's skipping it. Well, we all know in the summer when you got little chicken legs, you know what I'm saying? But I don't skip leg day. I actually skip all the days. That way I have all balance, right? Just there's no anything out of balance. That was a good joke. I liked it. I, you didn't have to like it. But obedience, we're talking about moving from observers to obeyers, moving from observation to obedience, taking a step into compliance with the will and the ways of Jesus as he reveals them to us. Now, for this message today, I have a, this is like Sesame Street. It's brought to you by the letter R, you know, it's brought to you by the number four. This is brought to you by Matthew 28. This is the Great Commission, the last words of Jesus before he ascends into heaven. This is what he gives to his disciples. And I think you're going to hear something new out of this today because these words, we're pretty familiar with them. If you've been in Joy Church for a while or been a Christian for a while, you've heard what we call the Great Commission, the last words of Jesus, go into all the world, make disciples. But let's read it together because there are three things here that I think are going to catch our, our hearts and our minds and captivate us into a desire not just to observe the ways of God, but to obey the ways of God. So Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, it says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. There's that word, obey, okay? Teach them to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Let me give you three thoughts today out of this passage of Scripture that we just read. Number one, Jesus is in charge. Look, guys, if we would get this just as Christians, I'm not talking about the world out there. I'm talking about us as disciples and followers of Jesus in here. Come on, you have your little booty imprint in the chair that you sit in every Sunday. I'm talking about you. Like, you go to this church. You know what I mean? This is your place. Like, you're an insider. Come on, you're VIP, right? You're like, you know what I'm talking about? This is for us inside the church. If we would just get this idea that Jesus is the boss, Jesus is in charge, not me, not the government, not the school, not the workplace, not that. No, no. Jesus is in charge of the universe. He's the boss. He's in charge. Come on. El Jefe. You know what I'm saying? He's in charge. If we would get this, it's going to clarify and change so many things. Listen, receiving Jesus as Lord as we sang today, and I didn't even set that up. The t- Judah told me, hey, we're singing this new song. And I was like, sweet. I love that song. Didn't know that was going to be the song. How perfect. You are the Lord. You're the Lord of my life. When, when we get this locked into our heart, into our mind, this is the key to wisdom and opening up all of God's blessings in our lives. But we have to stop trying to be the boss. We got to give up control of our life and say, I surrender myself. I submit myself to the, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, a lot of people love the message of forgiveness. Hey, you've, you've sinned, you, you've fallen away from God. Jesus died on the cross for you, wants to forgive you. That's absolutely true. But it's, it's not the full gospel. The full gospel is that when Jesus tells his disciples to go and make disciples, this obedience thing comes into play. There is a Lord, there is a king of a new kingdom. And when you enter into that kingdom, yes, you get the benefits of that kingdom, but you have to receive him as Lord. And I was a little crumb cruncher. I don't know how old I was, maybe 
five years old or so, four years old. My dad, you know, who's Pastor Steve, and he's an authoritative figure. He, he was doing something, and I walked up to him, and I decided this is my moment to shoot my shot to take over the patriarchy of this family or whatever it was. And so I, you know, came up to my dad, and I said to him, I said, Dad, I'm the boss. And he said, no, I'm the boss. And I said, no, I'm the boss. And he said, no, you're the nothing boss. And I went, okay, I'm the nothing boss. And I walked away feeling very confident and happy with my new title and position, not realizing what I was actually entitled to being the nothing boss. (laughs) Now, uh, it took me about 25 years to figure that out. And eventually I realized, oh, I have nothing. I'm the nothing boss. Uh, I wish it wouldn't take me that long to figure out I'm the nothing boss when it comes to Jesus. Because a lot of times we're going to him, well, I'm the boss. I want to do such and such a thing. I want to follow the desires of my, my heart. You know, God must want me to do it if it makes me feel good. Um, well, not exactly. Uh, doesn't God want me to be happy? I'm the boss. I'm in charge. I'm the master of my own fate. I'm the captain of my destiny. No, you're the nothing boss. And the sooner you realize that you're the nothing boss and that I'm the nothing boss, the sooner you actually move into the joy zone, that you move into a place where you actually step into your God-appointed place in the pecking order of the universe and find your greatest place of joy. It says in Proverbs chapter 9 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. We need to see God in his rightful place as boss. We need to see Jesus, as he said, has been given all authority. That word all means nobody else has any. All of it is in the hands of Jesus. All the authority in both heaven, which is the spiritual realm, and also on earth, which is the natural realm, are in the hands of Jesus, and there is no other place to turn that has power or authority, neither to deliver you nor to direct you. And this is the issue, is that in our time and in our day, and for every human even throughout history, is we've wanted to retain a measure of our own sovereignty. Well, I'm going to decide. I'm the captain of my own fate. And the sooner we come to this recognition, I'm the nothing boss, the better. See, Jesus, when he shows up on planet Earth, he doesn't come to a building like this. He doesn't do an altar call at the end and ask people to pray a little prayer. He just begins to proclaim the news of the kingdom. And this always is something I wondered about because growing up in church, I thought, well, what does that really mean? But it's, it's pretty clear, actually. Jesus was saying, hey, I'm, there's, there's a line in the sand and you're over here in the kingdom of this world or the kingdom of your own self-actualization or whatever it may be. And there's a new sheriff in town. There's a new kingdom and it's here. It's at hand. It's the kingdom of heaven. And you need to repent and be baptized. You need to come into this new kingdom. And here's the thing about a new kingdom is when you go into a new kingdom, you have to come under the authority and obey the laws of that new land or that new place. When we go down to Mexico and our, our church there in La Paz, it's wonderful. I love it. But I was talking to Greg Dasso about this recently. Different rules and laws. Like when you're driving in La Paz, if, if, you're, if you're going up to a stop sign, that doesn't mean stop in La Paz. It means be careful. That's all that it means. It just means look out, look both ways, because there's another person coming through who's seen that alto sign, right? That, that red sign, that stop sign, and they, they're not stopping. You're not supposed to stop either. And Bethany and I were just down in Mexico, and I was driving, and I got honked multiple times, huh? Because I'm following the laws of my kingdom, where I come from. In a new kingdom, it's a different standard. Hello. And yet it's a mystery to me why we think that we can just continue to operate within the laws of our own kingdom and be the boss and yet receive the blessings of the kingdom of heaven 
So when, and, and it doesn't work that way. When Jesus said, come into the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and he's offering us to be part of God's family. He's offering us forgiveness. He's offering us freedom from the rule of Satan. But he also has a demand upon us. He demands our allegiance or, this word, obedience. And even in the Great Commission, Jesus mentions this and talks about this, that the missional thrust of the church for thousands of years and sort of this core vision proclamation of what it means to make disciples is actually centered around this concept of obedience, not just abstract belief. Jesus doesn't say, go into all the world, sit everybody down, deal with all of their objections, and make sure they fully intellectually understand and agree with the tenets of this new religion. Doesn't say that. He says, teach them to obey what I've commanded. In other words, It's not about what you think or what you just believe in an abstract sense. It's what you actually do. And this is woven throughout the whole scripture. I want you to understand that we actually get this and we live this out in various ways in our lives. Let's talk about the context of marriage. What if Bethany and I got married? We get up on the stage. She's beautiful. I'm handsome. We pledge our love. We pledge our allegiance to one another. We're married. We make this covenant and then immediately we go and start seeing other people. Immediately we don't, we don't move in together. We, never, we don't really do anything with this marriage. What would you call that? You call it a sham. You probably get it annulled. You would say, this isn't a real marriage. Yes, you said the words. You did the thing. You stood on stage. You wore a tuxedo. She wore a white dress. But actually the thing, the substance of what a wedding indicates, which is a marriage, is actually activity It's what you then do and what you commit yourself to and what you live out on a day-by-day basis, not necessarily perfectly, but there's activity in that direction. Why would we think that a human institution like marriage is anything less than getting connected and committed to God in a new kingdom relationship, which is what we call salvation? And so even in the Great Commission, Jesus says it's about obedience. It's about coming into this new kingdom. And the first step is actually to publicly show that you're in a new kingdom, which is why he says, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why are we baptized? Why is that the first thing to do? When you say, I'm a Christian, I've come, I'm coming out of the kingdom of darkness, I'm in my own nothing boss world here, and I'm admitting it, and I'm going to step in and say, Jesus is Lord. The very first thing you do as a new Christian, as a new disciple of Jesus, is you get baptized. And what that represents is that when you go down into the waters of baptism, you're saying, I'm dead to my old life, to who I was, and I'm alive now to Christ. But it's not just like dead to sin, alive in righteousness. It's dead to my own team or the team of this world. And now I'm putting on a new jersey. I'm now on team Jesus. I now am telling all the powers of heaven and hell and everybody else that cares to look that I am now a Christian. That is the identity on my life. This is kingdom allegiance, kingdom language. You took off the old flag, it's a new flag that you're putting on. That's why baptism is that first step. It's a change of loyalty, a change of identity. You're on a new team. So this idea of Jesus in charge is huge. It's everything because it's the pivot point by which we move from one kingdom to another to say he is Lord. Now let me tell you about the benefits because it's not negative in any way. You see, when we come into the kingdom of, of God, when we come in to submission to the lordship of Jesus, that leads us into a joyful life. Don't believe the lie that disobedience to God equals freedom or equals a joyful life. Because freedom that violates God's created order, aka reality, isn't freedom at all. 
It's like a bird saying, well, I'm not free to swim underwater and breathe underwater. No, because you're a bird. You can fly through the sky. Why are you trying to breathe underwater, dum-dum? You know, or a fish down there like, finding Nemo. And they want to fly up in the sky, you know, and go, go migrate somewhere. Like, no, no, Nemo. Like, just stay in your lane. Get back, Jojo. Get back to where you belong. Although some older people are like, thank you. <laughs> I was raised by a boomer, so I have this cross-generational connection. I am, I am the bridge between Gen Z and boomers, right? I am. So we, we, we find our greatest place of freedom when we admit what we are, where we are in the pecking order, when we accept God's lordship, and, and we come into, into uh, alignment with that. Then all of a sudden, you get, are free to be who God made you to be. And this is a beautiful thing, because when he created you to be a bird, man, fly through the sky. Ha, 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 I fly. If you're a fish, then swim. This is great. You know, whatever it is. But you're in alignment with reality. And that's where freedom comes out of, as we, we say, okay, God, you engineered me. You designed me. You formed and fashioned me in my mother's womb. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm not arguing with you about who's in charge. Yeah, are there going to be times where my desires from my sinful, fallen nature begin to, to come into combat with conflict with what God wants for me? Absolutely. That's called the process of sanctification and surrender to God, that we're going to want things that we shouldn't want, want things that hurt us. We're going to want to drink that poison, take that pill, whatever it is. And, 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 and God says, look, I have something better for you, but it's on this side of obedience. Okay. And so it starts with recognizing Jesus is in charge. My daughter, Penny, just started playing basketball and she's, she's awesome. And she's got so much energy. It's the absolute perfect sport for her. We're like, just go out there and be yourself and everything will be fine. You got to learn how to shoot and all that. But like her playing defense, it's like being guarded like by a hurricane. You know what I mean? She, she's just, it's like a hummingbird out there. You know what I mean? You're trying to dribble. You can't do anything, right? You're just, you're just moving into a hurricane of hands. And she gets the ball and she just takes off like a scalded dog. And she's really quick. She's, she's moving up and down the court, right? One time she went the wrong direction. And scored, you know, didn't, didn't make the bucket, luckily, but, you know, took a couple shots. But, man, she got there in a hurry, right? And uh, how many of you feel like that's your life story right there? Like, I'm in a hurry. It doesn't matter. I don't get to the right bucket, but I'm in a hurry. So <laughs> this week, Bethany texted me from Penny's basketball practice, and she said, Jake, listen to what Penny's coach said. Penny's basketball coach said, Penny, you can fly. But first you need to learn control. <laughs> then you can fly. Come on, we all want to fly. But God wants us to understand, first you need to be under control. So I wanted the fruits of the Spirit is called self-control. I'm not about that control, brother. I just believe in the freedom of the Spirit. Well, the fruit of the Spirit, who wants to lead you into freedom, is about actually bringing your passions and desires into the, under the Lordship of Jesus and living in self-control. And through that obedience, you actually, learned, you actually are then going to be able to fly. Yeah. Score buckets at the right basket. Come on, do some things under control. And so obedience is the key to a joyful life and freedom. Second thought out of this passage about moving from observation to obedience, moving from just being a watcher of the things of God into a participant, is that Jesus works in us through our obedience. And this is a key thought here, that Jesus works in partnership with us. So the, the, God doesn't overtake you and force you to be uh, a Christian, to force you to be righteous. He works through our participation. But it is so vital to understand that there is no such thing as a Christian that does not submit themselves to obey Jesus as Lord of their life. To be a Christian is to be a disciple. 
Now, I want to give some credit to my wife, who's a brilliant thinker, preacher, theologian, mom, and everything else. But she was reading something, and she brought this up to my attention, this concept. And I was like, man, that's so good. That we, in, in the United States, in, in this era, we tend to see that the follow, like, people that follow Jesus, there's these varying levels, these categories. So we have you know, people that don't believe in Jesus. Those are lost people or unbelievers. And then we have Christians. So these are people that have prayed a prayer, like, Jesus, come into my heart. You know, give me a little heart. You know, we prayed that prayer. We're Christians. And then we have sort of the obedient, you know, holy, righteous people. And those are the disciples. So like at Joy Church, you've got like, you know, like Mr. Sinful, you know, woo, just sinning, you know, like not a Christian. Okay, you know who you are. So, and then we have like, I'm a Christian, like I'm not perfect, but I just, I believe and, and, and like, but I'm not really all in. And, and so because I'm not really like on that inner circle I sort of have this other category for me. And then there's like the really Christian people, the disciples. They're like, read their Bible. They have, they know they could actually speak King James English. You know, like these are the ones. And, and Bethany and I were talking about this. That, that actually is not true. There is no such thing as that middle category. That doesn't exist. What, what there is, is there's people that aren't Christians and there's disciples. Now you might be going, well, that kind of scares me because I'm not doing a great job of following Jesus. That's okay. His grace is sufficient for you. He's going to lead you in. But the sooner you understand that you're either in obedience or you're in disobedience, and there's not a middle category of like, I'm hanging out until I figure it out. No. You got to understand this is a kingdom battle. There's a spiritual battle. There's like actual demonic powers up there, out there, in here, everywhere that are after your soul. They want to deceive you, confuse you, take you down. They want to wreck you. Come on, they want to mess you up. And they're not playing like, oh, you're in that middle category? Cool, we'll just wait till you're like a disciple and then we'll attack you. No, they're after you right now. And the kingdom of God is after you too. The Holy Spirit of God wants to grab your heart and your mind and bring you into obedience so you can fly. Come on, so you can walk in joy and you can make a difference in the world. And so there is no category of just... Christians, okay, are just people that are sort of in that middle space. David Servant says it this way. If you read through the New Testament, honestly, you would never come to the conclusion that there are two categories of people whom God considers Christians, the believers and then the more committed believers or the disciples. No, no, a thousand times no. In the book of Acts, everybody who believed in Jesus was a disciple. Jesus expected everyone to repent and believe in him, thus becoming a disciple. This is a powerful thought that when we say, I, I want to give my life to Jesus, that that actually means something to your everyday, ordinary actions. Now, let me address these two audiences here today. If you are someone who is not a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you have not surrendered your, your, the lordship of your life, you haven't said, I bow my knee to Jesus Christ and what he says goes for me from here on out then I want to invite you to receive the message of the gospel, to hear the call of the Savior that did die on a cross, to die for your sins, to pay for your brokenness, but also to solve the brokenness and the pain of our world. He invites you to give him your life, and the benefits that he gives you are immeasurable, incomparable to what we offer to him. We give him our soiled and stained, spotted life, and he gives us a brand new heart, a brand new spirit. He gives us purpose. He gives us meaning. He connects us to the family of God. Like I could go on and on and on and on. So to that audience, I would say, give yourself to God. 
Become a disciple of Jesus Christ. He wants to participate with you as you cooperate with him to be a, a, a disciple. For those that are disciples, recognize, for those that are Christians, or if you say you're a Christian, take this, take this seriously that I am following Jesus. I'm giving him lordship of my life. I am, I'm surrendered to him. I'm submitted to him. And he sets the pace. He sets the scope. He sets the whole agenda. Amen? We are free will agents. And I think this is a, an important thing to recognize that we're not, we're not just robots. We're not robots or just biological engines dancing to the tune of our DNA. And because of that reality, that not all reality is just determined and, and sort of fatalistic and whatever is going to happen is just going to happen, that God actually invites us to participate. For Jesus to move us from here to there, he, he asks for our cooperation and our obedience. And so in light of this, Jesus is always looking for our complete surrender. He's never satisfied with half measures. You ever found that as you grow in your maturity as a believer and as a disciple of Jesus, that Jesus never goes, oh, that was enough. Like, oh, you, you, you gave to the, in the offering that one time. Um, you don't really need to move forward anymore in generosity. Oh, you lifted your hands in that one song, so let's just forget the rest of the worship Oh, you, you went to a group that one year, so now relationship in the church doesn't really matter. No, he's always like, that was good, that inch was good, now I want a mile. Like, this war is to the death. This is a gladiator game, right? Like, Jesus will win your whole heart and life and allegiance, purify and resurrect you, or you will be lost to the other side. And the sooner we, we capture this and recognize, okay, I, I actually have the ability to participate with him, it's powerful, because every yes to the Lord creates room for him to work in and through us. Amen? God is always working in two directions in every Christian life, and I'm going to go through this quick because we got a really cool third point that I think is my favorite of today. But God is always working his purposes in us, and he's always working his purposes for us. So his purpose inside of each of us is that Christ would be fully formed in our lives. It says in Colossians 3, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. We are to be like God. If God is gracious, we are to be gracious. If God is, is forgiving, we are to be forgiving. If God is holy, we are to be holy. Okay? Galatians 4, 9, Paul's talking to this church here. He says, my children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Why is Paul comparing this process of discipleship to being in labor because he's, he's saying, I need this job to get finished. I need Christ to be formed in you. Philippians chapter one, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. If you feel like you're in a struggle with sin, praise God for that. You know what that indicates? The real life and vitality of the spirit of God is on the inside of you because dead people feel no pain. So if you're a Christian and you go, but Pastor Jake, you're telling me I need to be a disciple, but I have some sin in my life and I'm wrestling with it. Praise God. If you're wrestling with it, that means you know it's there and you're giving it to Jesus and you're in the fight and he's growing you and he's finishing and working out this work. Amen? The really scary thing is when you just start to justify your sin. Oh, that's just the way that I am. You're just a jerk. Yeah, it's just how I'm just an introvert. You know, you're an a-hole. Yeah, like that's just how I was born, you know. <laughs> Okay, that's the really scary thing is when we start making agreements with our sin and agreements 
to be unformed. Like any place that we're unformed, where Jesus is not being formed in us, we should say, ooh, that's the part that, that I need to invite him in to do his work. Now, the beauty of God's work in us is that he does it at his pace. Sometimes I want to put my character flaws and say, this is what we're working on. And the Holy Spirit says, actually, put that aside. This is what we're working on today. He's, again, in charge, okay? The second purpose that God has for us, that he's always working in us, is his purpose for us. So he's transforming us, but as he transforms us inside, he has purpose for us in the world around us. And this is where we're, you know, we start as disciples, as observers of Jesus. Even Jesus' 12 disciples, they're, they're watching Jesus heal the sick. They're watching Jesus cast out demons. They're watching Jesus do miracles. But Jesus says, wait a second, it's not just to watch me and change on the inside. The change on the inside of you is going to lead to change on the outside of you. Because transformed people transform the world. Changed people change their environment. And so we're invited to become obedient participants in the mission of the kingdom. In Matthew 10, verse 1, it says, Jesus called his disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Skipping forward a couple verses in verse 7, he says, As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely received, freely give. God's purpose for us is so powerful that as we come into obedience to Christ and he begins to change us from the inside out, this ordinary obedience and cooperation leads to extraordinary transformation inside of us and in the world around us as we advance the kingdom of God. What I love about this is Jesus doesn't say, try to heal the sick, try to cast out demons, try to cleanse the lepers. He says, go do it. And I'm like, what? Jesus didn't say, okay, we're going to try this prayer thing. Hold on a second. Okay, please uh, be healed. Please, please, a lot. Please, I'm going to say please one more time. In Jesus' name, in his holy, precious name, you know, we try to whatever. No, he says, like, be healed. Heal the sick. You have authority. If you have authority to do something, you don't have to ask. You just do it. So this is pretty cool because as we are in alignment and obedience with Christ, transformation's happening. He's forming us. Then we go and we begin to form the world around us. We we step into being agents of the kingdom of God and we heal the sick and we cast out demons. I think it's important that we understand that we are all, always have been, always will be a church of champions. Joy Church is not a church of chumps. This is not a place where we're like, oh, we're just so weak and the enemy's so strong and you know, the church has no ability. We're just hanging on until Jesus comes back and pulls us into the magical rapture in the sky. That's not our theology. Our theology is that we're here to kick butt and take names. Come on. And I'm talking about kicking butt for the kingdom of darkness. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we, we wrestle against principalities and powers in the heavenly places. And we're coming to challenge the spirit of this community, the spirit that is against Christ, the spirit of uh, things that would take people away from God. We're here to break those things down, absolutely wreck them and watch the church advance and see our, our brothers and sisters and sons and daughters come into life and freedom in the kingdom of God. That's going to require some Christians who actually know who they are, know what their business is and aren't asking for permission, but are going out and saying, be healed in Jesus name. Devil be gone in Jesus name. Let's skip the whole diagnosis where you know somebody's crazy. They're pooping and peeing on the sidewalk. They don't need a diagnosis. They need a demon dr driven out. Well, we need to get a psychologist to tell us that you're crazy. I can see that you're crazy because you're, you're cracked out on the sidewalk. I don't, need to under, I don't need to go and find out from a doctor that we have a problem. Hello, church, we got to be 
empowered by the Holy Spirit, as Christ is transforming us on the inside, we're going to be transformers of culture around us. I'm getting excited. You guys are just, you're like, this is first service. Pastor Jake, it's first service. You're not allowed to get excited and preach at first service. Wait till the 10 o'clock. No, we're doing it right now. Okay, last, certainly not least, we're going to wrap it up with this. Jesus is with us. He says at the end of, the, of Matthew 28, verse 20, teach these disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the best part of this message. Are we called to obey? Is Jesus boss? Yes. Does he work through our cooperation and obedience? Yes. But though we are commanded to obey, we are not left alone. Jesus promises to be with us. He gives us grace. This word grace means God's help. He gives us both the will and the power to obey. Listen to this scripture, Philippians 2. I love this scripture. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Oh, I love that. Because I don't know about you, but a lot of days I wake up and I don't have the desire. My desire is for sin. My desire is for greed. My desire is for my own stuff. And so we have to come back to scripture and go, Jesus said he wouldn't leave me. He's working in me to give me the desire to do what's right. God, change my wants. Come and change my wanter, what I want to do. But not just the desire. He also gives us the power to do what pleases him. This is why we're so pumped up about advocating that you get absolutely baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because we don't need a bunch of Christians barely able to turn the lights on spiritually. Like let the Holy Spirit fill you and keep filling you so you're overflowing. So you're walking around and you're like looking for a demon. Like you're armed and dangerous with the spirit of God. Amen. Amen. And God gives us this power. Jesus promised in John 14, not to leave us as orphans. He said in John 14, no, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. I love this, that he's with us. You know, an orphan is, is someone that has a mom and dad, but they're not there in their life. I think a lot of Christians are living as orphans. You're born again. God's your father, but, but you, you're not interacting. Like he, he, you're sort of just like raising yourself. And Jesus said, you don't have to do that. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to comfort you, teach you, lead you into all truth. You have a father that's there with you. Come on. Matthew 11, Jesus says, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. This is what I love about this thing about obedience is that Jesus wears the yoke of our faithfulness. He wears the yoke of obedience right alongside with us. This idea of a yoke is you'd have one ox on one side, another ox on the other side. And Jesus is saying, look, we have to pull this load. You're going to walk in obedience. You're going you're to walk as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven but you're not alone in that yoke. It's not this heavy burden of religion. It's actually a burden that I'm bearing with you. So when God says, where's the faithfulness? Where's the obedience? You say, well, I'm, I'm in Christ. And he looks at the faithfulness of Jesus as he hung upon that cross. And he says, that'll work. That'll work. Come on, your obedience isn't even just on your shoulders. You're there with Jesus. And he's saying, let me show you how to pull this. Let me show you how this goes. Hey, let me show you a little, t- a little trick here. This is how we're going to do this. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And best of all, the faithfulness of Jesus makes us faithful sons and daughters. 2 Timothy 2 says, If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny 
who he is. How amazing is this, that even when we fail, the faithfulness of Jesus makes up the difference, and his faithfulness is actually what is training us and teaching us and changing our hearts. Listen, salvation makes us right with God positionally, but obedience or this process of sanctification, it makes us right with God experientially. So yeah, we're obeying, but what's actually happening is we're being transformed so we want to obey. We're being shown how to obey. And God's giving us both the desire and the power to do it through the faithfulness of Jesus. Would you bow your head and close your eyes today? Lord, I pray that today this word would go into our hearts, would find good soil, and it would produce fruit. Lord, we are we, we deny this category of the middle group, of somebody who's just a believer but not a disciple. We are either disciples of Jesus, surrendered to your lordship, or we are not. And Lord, I just pray that today we would see that clearly and we would in our own hearts and minds say, Lord, show me where I'm at and help me to make that right decision. I want to call out upon you. Right now in this place, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you go, I am that person who is not a believer. I am not a disciple. I'm not a follower of Jesus. I am still saying I'm the boss and I haven't said yet I'm the nothing boss. This is a great opportunity today to put your faith, your trust, and your allegiance in a new king, in King Jesus. He came 2,000 years ago. He died on a Roman cross, not philosophically, physically, not metaphorically. He really did it. He gave his life. He was an acceptable sacrifice for your sins, my sins, and the sins of the world. And he says, I'll pay the bill to bring you into this new kingdom. And today you can receive that work of salvation, receive that work of forgiveness. You can receive the finished work of Jesus Christ, but it requires something from you, which is to say, I will give my life to him. Not just in some abstract intellectual sense, but actually I will give my life to Jesus and I'll ask him to to do what Pastor Jake said today, to give me the desire and and the power to obey him. If you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus, today and join the kingdom of God. Just lift up your hand so I can see, and I'm going to pray with you. Just lift it up. Awesome. 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 Praise God. Awesome. Awesome. Wonderful. We're going to pray this prayer together. Everybody's going to repeat after me. Let's pray it together. Dear Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you and in you alone. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for the cross. I receive you as my Savior. And I receive you as my Lord. Thank you for inviting me into your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.